The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. In the first talk on patience, it's just that uh, we have to be careful with any of the wholesome qualities that we're, that we're naturally going to be cultivating as we develop awareness or mindfulness in life. It's like we have to go beyond our preconceived ideas. So when we hear a word like patience, we generally are going to think of it in terms of its receptive qualities. So one of the things the Buddha said is that patience is the greatest austerity. And I think we can even sort of make it more blunt and say it's a real power. The capacity to be patient is a real power in our life. And it, it just helps us see, of course, patience has this receptive these receptive qualities or aspects about it. But that capacity to be receptive is a real power. It gives us like uh, options that we wouldn't otherwise have. So we want to see patience both in terms of an assertive power, also as a receptive strength. So it goes both directions. And I mentioned last week this phrase from Sylvia Borstein, this will change, but it can't be other than what it is now. And it kind of holds both qualities. There's a real strength in the mind, the, the wisdom that knows, well, this is going to change. But right now, it can't be other than what it is. And it really allows for that receptivity or that more full participation in the moment. And that's kind of what I'd like to talk about tonight for a little bit, and then I'll open it up again and hear from what people have been learning in your own life in terms of patience. And that the point I wanted to make tonight is when we can, you know, through the power of patience, through this capacity to show up and to allow life, the mind, body, this process of living, to allow it to reveal itself, kind of get out of the way and see it as a natural interrelated process. When we have that, it's really about uh, a kind of integrity. And it's really, there, there's this great passage from uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, one of the senior Buddhist monks, Western monks and scholars. And he talks about practice, this tradition of practice, really being about a commitment to truth. And this is a question we can ask ourselves, kind of going back to Eric, Eric's comment about, well, how do you, how do you start a daily practice, or how do you become more regular, more committed to developing mindfulness in life? And one way, is, as I, I sort of mentioned, is see our life in terms of this tipping point or this, uh, you know, on the fence could go one of two ways: toward uh, interest and attraction to distraction, like using one sense experience after another to keep the mind occupied to keep the mind lost in sort of that mode of acquiring, I want this interesting experience, and then I want another interesting experience. And it's like that's what our life is. And just seeing the limitations of that. And then understanding there's another option. We could say a commitment or interest in truth or understanding. So it's a very potent shift in, in perspective from just wanting another interesting experience. You know, it's like we can go through the channels on the TV or 
look through the books, and there's, you know, the world of sense experience. And by sense experience, it's not just seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, but the sense experiencing this sense includes thoughts, interesting thoughts, interesting emotions. It's endless. And it always leaves us hungry for another sense experience. So we have this option, like, well, what, how do we get away from that addiction to an interesting, another interesting sense experience? Well, the beginning is to want to understand that, to understand the limitations of that. And this is a real turning, and this is where patience comes in. It's like patience is the beginning, or is, is kind of the expression of a life dedicated to understanding. It's like we can't understand this life experience, this moment's experience, if we're impatient, if we're trying to get the next interesting sense experience. So we want to see, you know, in a very quick way, as quick as we can, we want to see how impatience is always a rejection of understanding. It's always an assumption that we already know because impatience is already knowing that if I get this, I'll be happy. If I get rid of this, I'll be happy. So it already kind of knows. Impatience already kind of knows what it thinks it needs, wants. Where patience is, is a, a humility. It's an understanding that I don't fully understand. I don't fully know how this is, what this is, what's up, what's down. So it's a, it's a don't know mind. And that's what allows us to be patient, you know, to, to rest more fully, to open more fully with the lived experience. Sharon Salzberg uh, talks a little bit about this in one of her chapters in her book, uh, A Heart as Wide as the World. She says, true patience is constancy, the consistent willingness to use this moment of reality as a vehicle for wisdom and compassion. Patience is not about gritting one's teeth and saying, I'll bear with this for another five minutes because I'm sure it will be over by then and something better will come along. Patience is not dour. It is not unhappy. It is a genuine connection with whatever is happening right now. Patience is a great power. The Buddha talked about it as being both the highest austerity and the highest form of devotion. So here, devotion, you know, we could put the word love. It's like patience is an expression of love. When we're patient with somebody, when we're patient with our minds, when we're patient with the body, patient with the moment, it's an expression of love. Because what is love? Love is an inclusivity. It's willing to include things as they are, include a person, include ourselves. That's what love is. And the thing about patience, like when we drop that idea in the mind, in our set, you know, that, well, what about patience? What would patience look like? Where is patience in this moment? It actually reveals the heart that can be undefended. I mean, that's what patience opens us to. You know, it's almost like we get it wrong. We think, well, I need, I need the power, or I need the mind that can actually see things clearly, or I need the mind or heart that can actually relax with things fully. But it's actually the other way around. The way that that wise 
loving, fearless heart is revealed is actually by being patient or by being open or by bearing what's unbearable. So if you want to see the heart that can be with what's unbearable, we need to be patient with what's unbearable because that's what's going to reveal it. If you're in a really difficult situation, maybe a friend who's dying or just an unworkable situation in an intimate relationship or like a divorce or in some kind of insecurity, and it feels like you have no resources for this pain, for this confusion, for this difficulty. And see, what happens is we begin to react. We begin to run, basically, from the difficulty. And what does that convince us? Well, if we have to run from it, it must be too big. It must be you know, too, bad, uh, too mean, too ugly, too shameful. Otherwise, why am I running from it? You know, why am I resisting? Why am I denying it? So our lack, the lack of opening, the unwillingness to rest, the unwillingness to see things clearly is reinforcing this kind of underlying belief that we don't have the capacity to be open, to be present with life. That life is a scary place. And it's best, the best we can do is to keep distracting ourselves, to keep negotiating and manipulating things so that we have an interesting experience to absorb into. And we're willing to take that constant struggle to find something to turn toward, to try to get, to become, because that's all we know. That's all we think there is. So as we begin to experiment with patience, and of course, we build the confidence in patience by just digging in where it's easy. You know, like the nice thing about a regular sitting practice is we're going to bump up against the habit of impatience over and over. Like uh, Clint was saying, it's not easy to sit still for five minutes. So, you know, one of the manifestations is we become bored with stillness or we become irritated with stillness or we have a lot of doubt, like, why am I doing this? So it's a perfect opportunity in for a moment. Now, if we say, well, i got to do this for an hour, well, the force of impatience is going to win. But if we say, well, how about for one moment? Is this heart capable of being patient for just this moment with this impatience, with this restlessness, with this doubt? Well, yeah, it is possible to be patient in one moment, even with things that are really painful and difficult. It was really interesting, uh, amazing, really. Some of you have heard me talk about Rennie Howard's passing. She died uh, late December, and a good friend of many of us, and a lot of us helped her uh, in the last three months when she was in hospice. She was a relatively young person, 54, I think, or 55, and she had cancer. And, uh, you know, it's <laughs> being sick like that. It's just completely unworkable. And the, that, on top of the fact of dealing with this growing, deepening recognition that you're going to die, you know, obviously, it's about as unworkable as it gets. And having to leave behind a world you love, people you love, people you care about, people you want to support and take care of, like her son and her lover and sister and family and brothers and friends. But, you know, Little by little, just observing, being with Rini, and just seeing that capacity to be patient, 
with what was completely unworkable, like the nausea and the, the pain and the uncertainty and the confusion of what death is and whether it's going to happen or not. And, and it's amazing to discover, to see, both externally and also especially in our own lives, the heart, the mind is capable of opening to anything. You know, and there are, there are amazing stories of this. You know, there are a few people who were able to share some of their experiences, for example, in the Holocaust. There's some books that were found or journals that were found of people who were in the middle of that situation and were able to stay open in that situation. They, didn't, they weren't overcome by fear or anger, hatred. Their hearts were filled with love and a, and a radical presence in that situation. I'm thinking of one woman, Ellie, I think was her name, that I read some... Uh, no? She, I think she was... Oh, I forget. Anyway, there's just a journal that was found. She died in the Holocaust, but they found her journal, I think it was like buried under some boards. And it's just her finding uh, the capacity to love, using love as a vehicle to be intimate and to support others and to support herself until she died, of course. And there are other examples of people being in, you know, what we would consider the most horrendous, difficult situations, but not being overcome, not sort of being limited with just negative mind states to survive, like denial and fear and hatred, craving, but actually being able to be relaxed and open, at least in moments. And this can be an inspiration for us, like just to begin working with the ordinary difficulties like traffic, like sitting still in meditation practice, or the ordinary pain in the back or the knee that arise. And not to get lost in the thought, well, yeah, sure, I can do it for a minute, but I'm going to be here for 30 minutes. That's just a thought. All we have to do is practice with this moment. So whatever sadness or disappointment or restlessness or sleepiness that we experience in life or in our meditation. Patience is just moment by moment. And this is where that real power, that momentum in the practice begins, where we start having what we could call like a powerful faith that everything's workable. So even in life when things aren't workable, like some situation happens in our set or in our life, and we do react and we do get kind of full of confusion or greed, and we get identified with it and lost, and we're not acting in skillful ways. So even when we're completely lost, there can be a quiet voice in the mind that says, I know I'm losing it, I know I'm panicking, I know I'm reacting, but I also know this is workable, just not yet. But someday, this situation like this will be workable. Because we've discovered that, that the heart can open and it isn't crushed by what it opens to. So it's just a matter of having enough confidence. Right now, it's like the momentum to run is stronger than the momentum to open. And you know, that's when we get crushed. It's like, you see those old Roman films about the old battles, you know, and it's like, at some point the enemy or the, the other side starts to run. Well then, then it's a complete slaughter because once you turn your back, then you're vulnerable. And that's like a metaphor for real life. As soon as we turn our back to things as they are, we get spun around. We get beat up by life. 
But as, as long as we keep saying yes, keep turning toward, looking at, relaxing with, because we're orienting around things as they are, our response is always skillful. Now, it doesn't mean that somehow, magically, everything gets fixed. It just means we're as skillful as we can be, moment by moment, because we're orienting around things as they are, the way it actually is, as opposed to orienting around the thought, this is too much, i got to get out of here, you know, I need to distract myself, I need to... Well then, you know, of course, things are going to get confusing, because we're disconnecting, we're running, we're operating under a, a kind of a false god or a false belief that this is too much, that running works, denial, distraction works. And it does, temporarily, which is why we get seduced by it. You know, it's like if we had a really bad day, it doesn't make sense to us, you know, to just sit down on the couch and just feel all the reverberations from the really difficult day where we embarrassed ourselves and then we overreacted and said something to somebody we really care about that hurt them. It doesn't occur to us just to sit down and feel what we're feeling. What occurs to us is to overeat and to, you know, take out a magazine and watch TV all at the same time. <laughs> to somehow avoid feeling what we're feeling. As if, I mean, in hindsight, of course, it just makes no sense. But think about how many ways we do something like that. We just keep harming ourselves as a way of taking care of ourselves. It makes no sense. But we just don't, the momentum of that strategy of denial and distraction is really strong. So this is the context for patience. And we'll talk about patience for the next couple of weeks, but we have about 20 minutes now. It'd be nice to hear from people what you've learned both from impatience, remember, because we learn a lot from seeing the force of impatience and what you've learned from patience, and of course, any questions that you have about what I've said so far. Yeah, let's say your names, too. My name is Meg. Meg. And the, the quote that you talked about last week, this will change, but it cannot get together. Mm -hmm. I found it very comforting, and I was thinking about that. But then I realized, Things can change, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to change for the better. <laughs> and then I fell into despair. But even when they change for the worse, that too will change, right? But ultimately, that's right. We can't bank on conditions going the direction we want them to go. Even if we're really competent, both psychologically and in all ways competent, and we got a lot of good luck going our way, even then, we can't bank on that, on things going our way. So I know that's kind of a big gulp for us. It is a big gulp, but that's actually our existential situation. I mean, just putting it in the context of death, which is awaiting all of us. So how do we win? Do you know what I mean? How do we win at this? So if our strategy is to win at this, we're somehow missing the point. We're sort of, we have a false belief. So initially, when we say things will change, we know we don't, we know, we don't know how they're going to change. But uh, like a real power, we know that it won't always be this way. And that lightens it up. What it, what it lightens up is the fixed view. It's always going to be this way. Because when we're feeling depressed, 
or feeling anxious or feeling overwhelmed, we just out of habit put the thought in its, you know, this is who I am, as if it's never going to change. So bringing in the thought or the perspective, this will change, and bringing in the force of our experience that confirms that thought, this will change, it, it, what it does is it undermines the fixed idea that I know this is bad, it's always going to be bad. Because that's what supports the freak out, is that we have kind of locked in, this won't change. And it's that belief that justifies kind of radical, unskillful action. You know, because we wouldn't do it if, if, we, if there was a better alternative, like being patient and seeing how things are going to unfold. You know, so that's really the point of that teaching, this will change. Not to convince us that it's always going to change or that eventually we can change for the better, but to undermine the fixed view that we got how it is now. We know how it is. And then we deserve to freak out because we don't like it. It's just, you know, this is it. And so, yeah. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Um, my name is Jennifer, and I was struck with, you know, when you were, um, two things came up for me. One is that I used patience tonight to just be peaceful with what felt like my, my first my flitting around mind, and then just tiredness. And so then I just tried to use patience. I just thought, oh, you know, the patience of, oh, that I'm tired. But, but I was also struck that you say, um, Know, that at first it was freeing and then you felt despair and and I was struck with how um, that, that I often when things feel good I'm afraid that they'll go poorly you know that that's like the next step and and that that I've developed compassion for the child who I was who learned that it wasn't safe to trust things feeling good so when that comes up in me, I go to this place of, oh, you know, that's fear. That's from when I was a child, and, and that's understandable, but that's what that means for me. I mean, yeah. um, and that helps me to not attach to that either. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that's right, too, that that children kind of want certainty. And part of maturing, spiritually at least, is discovering that there's a heart or mind that can be OK with insecurity. I mean, it's really the question, to survive, to have a healthy, happy life, do we need to be in denial or not? I mean, that's, a, that's an important question to kind of reflect directly on. Like, is denial justified? Is it useful, distraction and denial? I don't want to answer. I mean, I kind of have, but other people have some thoughts they wanted to share or questions? Yeah. Um, I've really come to realize that I've had the wrong definition, I guess, of patience, the wrong concept of patience that I've always had. And I was talking to a coworker about this today, and he had a quote this long that really touched on it, that I've always thought of patience as the gritting of your teeth and waiting for things to change right. and not having that where it, I, we talked about it today and called the word tolerance of a situation not yeah. an acceptance and that's, um, 
having to shift the mindset about what patience is really all. Yeah. And so that's, that would be good to find a way to remember it then in our lived experience and in our sits so that we don't fall back into the more usual notion of patience to sort of tough it out, but more like integrity, like a, uh, interest in integrity being really right here in the middle and that it's not dangerous and uh, that we might have a, a much larger capacity than we imagine to actually be relaxed and open and vulnerable and clear with the way it is right now. And that there might be something really beautiful that comes from cultivating that patience or that connection with the moment, with reality. Yeah, Casey, and then Tom. Can you yeah, and I think we should just experiment, like, when we're uh, in our life and what's being asked of us in that moment or in those moments of our life is kind of a more active thing. Whatever it might be, you got a job that needs to be done at a certain time or people are going to be disappointed or hurt or something like that. So what is patience? Well, patience is that more radical opening to how it is. So how is it? Well, maybe, you know, there's tension. Maybe there's fear that we're not going to succeed. Maybe there's irritation of having found ourselves in this difficult situation again. You know, so patience is like willing to include all of that. And there's a, a kind of a distilling that happens when we include everything. There's a basic principle that in awareness practice that you'll discover over and over again. And that is, when you open to things in that patient, clear, loving way, things that are being born from self-centered drama tend to fall away pretty quickly when, there's, uh, when the mindfulness is strong. And things that are coming from a more resonant place, more skillful qualities like patience and like love and like compassion and wisdom, these tend to become more resonant the more mindfulness there is. So you can just experiment. Like when you have a lot of hatred going on one day, then really practice being open and see if the experience of hatred begins to fall apart in exactly the same way, uh, parallel to the increase of mindfulness. And then try it with love, a, an authentic kind of love, of what we call metta, as opposed to like, I love my bike, or I love my hamburger, or I love my partner. <laughs> Not a attached love, but just a kind of a more generous, all-inclusive love. Then when you bring a lot of mindfulness to that, you'll see it actually gets more resonant and stronger. It doesn't get weaker when you become more aware, more receptive to it. So this is that, this, uh, what did I say, distilling, yeah. So when all these qualities are there, like in a moment when you're doing, you got some crisis going on, and you practice being patient or open to that, where there's this distilling process where uh, over time, you know, in the matter, in matter of moments, if the mindfulness is strong, a lot of the more afflictive, reactive qualities tend to weaken and fall out of the mind. And the more wholesome qualities tend to get stronger. 
So all there's left then in the ambulance driver is clarity and compassion, let's say, you know. And, uh, and the ego is not there in a sense. All there are are those wholesome qualities interacting seamlessly. And everything else has sort of fallen away because of the presence, that full, clear presence. They're just seen as unnecessary. They're seen as unnecessary suffering, and they're abandoned. So that's what I would hope would happen, <laughs> you know, if we're in, ever in an ambulance. Yeah, or oh, Tom first, and then over here. Uh, yeah, I think one of the reasons that I keep coming back is because some things that, that I have heard and in our spiritual life, it's so essential because the more we get a sense of how much there is to cultivate and how wonderful it would be to be patient, for example, the more we get greedy and impatient. So to, uh, one of the most beautiful expressions you see in some practitioners, people who've been practicing for a while, is they're really, they're really patient with their imperfections, with, of their character, of their personality. And it's, it's like there's a kind of spaciousness about it's going to take as long as it's going to take in terms of developing the path, the practice. And it's really great to be around because it it's like gives everybody around them permission to be who they are too, you know, and for things to take as long as it's going to take for them. Thanks for sharing that, Tom. I don't know your name. My name is Diane. Hi, Diane. And uh, <clears throat> this piece about patience and... The ambulance driver intrigues me because I, for many years, worked in a field where you had to operate in crisis situations. And uh, before I went to the Pasta meditation several years ago, um, I believed that I had to do something in order to to speed up the moment to make the crisis better. Mm-hmm. And then the group that I was with in Vipassana several years ago said something that really struck home to me about that ambulance driver. That, Patience cannot be fast or slow. It doesn't matter. What matters is that patience is the perfect resolve uh, that we have when we become aware that the moment takes care of itself. And we simply sit next to the moment. Uh, we do nothing with it. The moment we begin to do something, then we are no longer patient. We are now in the midst of fighting against the patience. Um, the hardest thing about, about a 10-day sit for me was to not to be able to, it wasn't about whether I could look at someone or, or speak or listen to the radio. All of those things were fine. It was about, more about how would I actively not do. And that doesn't exist. And much like that piece about change, if there's something after the change in your verbal, in your verbiage, then you're no longer changing. Now you're putting a judgment on change. Change is. It isn't better or worse, it is. And if we accept that, then we become patient, which means the resolve to the moment is present all at all time. 
getting that was the most difficult thing that I ever did, and I lose it constantly. And which tells me that I'm at least practicing oh, yeah. doing something aside from being a patient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Diane. And, and related to what Diane said, or just another way of saying that is, one of the things that patience reveals is that wisdom arises on its own. We don't have to be the wise person figuring out everything, like how to drive. Like I'm sure if they did studies, they'd find that ambulance drivers who are trying to do it right don't do it right so well. And ambulance drivers who just are, they do it right. So it's a little bit like, uh, do we feel like we have to be wise, that we have to figure out how to do everything? I mean, that's a real burden if we felt we had to figure out, like everybody right now, figure out best how you should do this moment. Well, I mean, it's a burden to have to constantly be figuring out how to do this moment right. And it keeps turning it into this dualistic thing, like if I, I could do it wrong or I could do it right, and we get all gummed up. So what I think Diane was pointing to, uh, using patience as a way of discovering that wisdom arises in the experience of patience. It's a natural force. It isn't a personal force. It's the force that is clear and leads to an appropriate response, given however much clarity there is in that moment. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Diane. Other thoughts people have? Yeah, Nancy. So while you're talking about... Uh Patients kind of a difficult space, but I found that even at, you know, when I'm doing something that, like, apparently that I really like, like a hobby or something I've been, you know, wanting to have time for to do that, that, you know, I can even be impatient then, yeah. you know, doing something I really like to do. And then it's even double whammy, you know, because <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, I wanted to do this, and now I feel this time constraint, and so, um, it, you know, it's almost like they're it's just the whole trap of time, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, that is such a deep insight. So hear this, because it really teaches you something about this whole study of patience and impatience, is to notice impatience when it makes absolutely no sense. And then you really see that it's actually a whole world view that just dominates our life. Like, you know, sometimes at night, it's just so nice to sit and read a book. But I'll notice I'm impatient. You know, it's like, I, I'll kind of catch myself and I go, I'm, first of all, I'm really enjoying this book. And yet I'm rushing to it. I'm like, I'm not even reading it. <laughs> and it's just like, it's just so astounding that the mind would choose to do that. Just like rushing for the sake of rushing, which isn't satisfying. <laughs> And so that's just, you know, another example. But it, it, it's, even though it's something we don't like to see, it sort of shocks us. Because when we see so clearly how the mind is causing its own harm and, and creating suffering like that for itself, we really get we can't trust the conditioning of the mind. And that, that's, a, that's a real turning point. So what, what can we trust? Well, we don't even need to know what you can trust. You just know you can't trust the conditioned mind, the habits of the mind. And what it does, just knowing that really wakes us up. We start to pay attention. And everything flows attention. We, we just discover, you know, in paying attention, like at first, the only wisdom we have is what's not working. And 
that just uh, it's like uh, you know it's like someone dropped you into a new country and you don't speak the language and you don't know the you just get really quiet <laughs> you know because talking doesn't help <laughs> and you just listen you pay attention and that's what we do when we see that our primary habits conditioning are so unproductive of happiness we just get really quiet and we start paying attention and some basic human wisdom then gets ignited that way we just start to learn all over again instead of trusting our habits to kind of lead us to happiness we're sort of humbled by you know our habits being unproductive maybe we'll leave it here so we'll just take a few seconds and let go of the words It's nice to take a couple breaths together at the end of the evening. Just to reflect on the depth and practicality of these teachings and to appreciate this great lineage of men and women who have done their practice and passed on what they've learned. And we get to be the grateful recipients of these wonderful teachings and we can be inspired to put them into practice to learn what we can learn and to model the wisdom and the compassion that comes out of these practices be a force for peace in the world and happiness and wisdom and compassion in the world so may this be so and thanks again, everyone, for coming. Nice to see everybody tonight. Thanks to Dennis and...